0: Hello and welcome to the 905er podcast. My name is Roland Tanner.
1: I am Joel McLeod.
0: This week we're continuing our series of interviews with candidates in 905 municipal races that we think deserve attention. We can't speak to every candidate, uh, but we can highlight races that we think you should know about, whether a contest with credible candidates who offer real alternatives. Today's guest could hardly illustrate that point better. Zishan Hamid is running in Milton. Against incumbent Mayor Gord Crantz. In the interview that follows, we don't talk about Gord Crantz very much, and that's as it should be. Candidates should talk about what they offer. But for anybody unfamiliar with Milton, or even those that are, it bears repeating just how extraordinary Gord Crantz is. But not because he's been around a long time. No, that's not the reason Gord is a little bit unusual. And Gord Crantz was first elected to Milton Council in 1965, he did so. With only 837 votes, in fact, he did only pretty badly at that first election, and every election for the next decade. In 1965, he came fifth out of a total of seven candidates. But back in those days, the top six candidates were all elected, which meant only one candidate went home without getting a job. And the young gun Gordon made it onto council with the lacklustre endorsement of 13% of voters. For a full 10 years, he never managed to get the support of more than 16% of Milton voters, but was elected anyway. By 1980, his numbers had finally begun to improve, and he became mayor in a close race, edging out his rival by only 500 votes. But since then, he's rarely faced a serious challenge. Election after election, Krantz was acclaimed as mayor in elections, as mayors across the 905 were acclaimed in those days, When he faced any opponents, he generally won with landslide victories, albeit still of small numbers in a relatively small town, say 7000 votes to 700 as he did in 1995. His stiffest challenge came in 1997 when Colin Best, who today still serves as Ward 1 councillor, came within 1000 votes of beating him. But the comparison with Best is illuminating. Colin Best has been involved in Milton politics since 1980. By any standards other than Gord Krantz's, that's a very long career. But Councillor Best has an email address and a website, and Councillor Best is a regular Twitter contributor and has a Facebook page. Councillor Best, in other words, has kept up with the times and is as accessible as a modern councillor is expected to be. Not so Gord Krantz. Mayor Krantz has no email address, no website, Uh, In fact, no online presence whatsoever. If we want to invite Mayor Krantz to provide reasons why voters should choose him for re-election, we'd have to track him down by his phone number to invite him. Now, that's not rocket science, perhaps. And if we did track down his phone number, we'd then have to go out and buy him a computer and set him up with a Zoom account. And that's a bit more tricky. And that in 2022 certainly is extraordinary. France's challenger this year is Z. Hamid. Z has a mathematics and computer science degree from Waterloo and became a Milton town councillor in 2010. In 2018, he was elected to be a regional councillor for Milton. And because the Milton councillor is still not paid anything like a salary of a full-time professional, Z has also continued to work in the tech and engineering sector and has worked in the past for Microsoft and Amazon therefore feel confident in assuming Z. Hamid has an email address, and he also has political background and credibility to launch a serious campaign. Milton is a big town now. For a decade, it was the fastest growing community in Canada, and today it's home to 110,000 people. It's a community in its diversity and youth that reflects the 905 of the 21st century. The decisions that get made over the next decade in Milton could fundamentally shape the kind of community it becomes—a vibrant, mature, modern city or a sprawling nowhere of strip malls and highways. It may be well over 20 years since Mayor Gord Krantz has faced such a significant challenger. We think it's important that you get to hear from that challenger direct. <music> Welcome, Zee Hamid, to uh, the 9055 Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. You announced a couple uh, month or so ago, a month and a half ago, that you were going to uh, uh, take on Canada's longest-serving mayor um, uh, in Gord Krantz and, and suggest that maybe Milton, it's time for a change um, after... Um, a period of time longer than my lifetime <laughs> what i mean i was just looking at your website this morning but i mean let's start off with just you know why you wanted to run and actually what 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 your basic what's your vision for milton
2: yeah milton's in a unique position where i don't consider myself running against someone in fact i have great deal of respect for mayor. i think he's done a great job he's an amazing legacy and he's brought milton this far But the real question is, who's the right person to lead Milton forward? Uh, So it's not not against anyone. It's really to say, hey, you know, it's 2022. Milton's one of the youngest communities in Canada. Median age in Milton is only 34, by the way. It's also uh, the highest educated community in Canada. And so if you look at these factors, the question then is, what are the things we need to do going forward? And who's the right person to lead the community uh, with these challenges? As far as platform is concerned, uh, it, it's really pretty simple, honestly. Milton is growing like most places in GTAH, and uh, we really do need to take a handle on our growth. We need to figure out that, how to grow and grow on our terms in a way that benefits the community and not in a way that hurts the community.
1: So I, so I just want to touch upon that. You, you, I mean, we've, we've heard that before, is that we need to grow on our terms. Something we've kind of advocated on this podcast is for local communities to have a say in how they want their communities to change. I want, I, want, I want to press on you, how, what exactly do you see Milton needing to change over the next four, let's go say 10 years time? How do you think Milton needs to change compared to how it is right now?
2: Yeah, let's talk about easy stuff. That's completely up to us. So one of the things that's happening that's going wrong in Milton is we're basically just houses and warehouses. Uh, We don't have a ton of activities. Uh, We're actually actively driving away jobs, unfortunately. So regional staff predicts that in in, in a 10-year period, Milton will end up driving away 17,000 existing jobs. And that's mostly because as areas are intensifying, these old industrial areas, uh, they're being replaced by condos. And mixed use, which is actually not unsuitable. So don't get me wrong, which is actually exactly what should happen in those areas. But then we don't have alternates for these businesses to move to. And the reason we don't have alternate is not because we didn't plan it, but because as applications come in for warehouses, and these are massive mega warehouses, like did boggle the mind how big they are. They're big enough that they have trucks driving inside of these warehouses uh our council majority of council against our own official plan has chosen to approve these warehouses and they don't generate a lot of jobs they're basically just storages uh and they're fully automated i used to work for amazon so i understand how automated they really are uh and, and they don't add much value to the community and what ends up happening is that the reason so to be fair to the other side the reason they get approved is because they give you tax assessment immediately because they go up in one year and you get like you know a million square foot built in one year and But in the long term, uh, in the long run, they actually give you—you actually generate smaller taxes from them because they don't use as much covered area than say a multi-story office building would do. Plus, it means that a small business owner in Milton, your auto body shop, your mechanic shop, your machinery, your gymnasium, and all these other small industrial uses—they have nowhere to go. And they're either being forced to retire or they're moving out of Milton. So that's the one quick thing that we can do to change. And one thing that people don't realize often is quality of life services are often not built based on residential tax base. They're built on the backs of business taxpayers because businesses pay a higher tax rate and they don't ask for much in return. And and so if we're a community that actually active not it's not a business friendly community. It has a taxes shift from more business to residential, you'll see taxes go up, but you'll get nothing in return. So Milton will never have a decent transit system or a decent community services system or or, or like proper parks or libraries or anything else that we desperately need. Uh,
0: and I guess I mean Milton um and I don't know Milton well. I mean, I obviously lived in Holton for, for a decade and uh but and even even uh actually longer than a decade almost 20 years um but and in that 20 years even it it grew phenomenally from from a still seeming relatively small place to to you know one of the three big towns in 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 halton i guess um and and it seems to have made a lot of the well, for better, one of the better words, it's made the same mistakes as as all the new as all the new, uh, uh, as all the new uh, towns in in the 905 kind of done, which is just to be very car centric. Now, you you speak about on your on your uh, website, you're saying, well, you know, we can we can grow and we can we can have more trees, we can have you know better transit, all admirable things how do you go about kind of redesigning a town that was designed for 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 cars? Um, and can you actually, I mean, I know this is something that Burlington struggles with. It's like, we want people to walk more, we want people to be healthier, uh, we want walkable streets, but things weren't designed that way. How are we gonna get there?
2: Yeah, it's really hard to go back and retrofit. Uh, and, and so some of the things you have to accept if you wanna build a transit-oriented community that older parts of that community, Uh, you'll have to subsidize transit and alternate modes of transportation more than if you designed it properly. And uh, that's one of the challenges a lot of municipalities face. Milton faced that challenge as well, where we, uh, in my previous term, uh, the majority of council decided to take actually bus service away from older Milton because uh, it wasn't hitting the right metrics, but it wasn't hitting the right metrics because it wasn't designed to be very transit friendly. So clearly fewer people will take transit uh, because it's extremely sprawled. Uh, And that's just the, it doesn't mean that you kind of move the bus service, it just means that you kind of look at it differently. In terms of going forward, uh, our plans are actually quite good. Milton is fortunate that we have good staff. And they come up with these great master plans, 15 minute communities, walkable, bikeable, and everything else. The issue happens at implementation of that plan because it's very easy to put things off just a little bit. So it's very easy to say, you know what, that's great, but we're gonna build this trail you know, next year. And we're gonna put a transit here next year even though people are moving it this year. And the next year never comes. And what we really need is a commitment and, and, and put transit and cycling, essentially multimodal transportation at the same level as cars. And so when we're designing a community, we design it from scratch in a way that you don't need your car to get around. Uh, because once people get used to cars and they buy their second or third family car, it's very hard to take them back. And, and so if you design it up front, and when you move into a brand new subdivision, there is a bus right there, the cycling trail is ready, that you have a clean, safe cycling path, the walking off-road trail, so you don't have to walk, you know, uh through the cars, you can go off into uh, Backcountry trails to go to wherever you're going. They are ready to go. They're they're uh, accessible and usable. Then people will use it. Uh, but what happens in all municipalities, Burlington included and Milton included, is that we think of these things after the fact, and we want to make sure that we get all the people moved in first.
1: Um, what I mean, the, the, the counterpoint to that is that you know Milton is often viewed as kind of a bedroom community. It's you know a lot of similar to to other uh, uh, you know Burlington and Oakville, the residents I would get on a go train, go into Toronto to work, come back and and live in in Milton. so are are you talking about a like kind of a cultural change in Milton to get away from that that idea that that mindset of well, we just I just need a place to park my cars, put my stuff in a house, but my my day to day life is actually in Toronto working in a, in a Bay Street office, uh, if you will. You know, how, how, do, how do you view that that dichotomy, I guess, or that 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 conflict of interest?
2: Yeah, uh, if you talk to most people who do this, they do this out of necessity, not out of choice. Uh, I mean, I commuted downtown Toronto for seven years when I hour for Amazon, uh, and I was a sitting counselor at that time as well. Uh, we do it because there was no alternative available. If I had an alternative, I would give up my three hours a day commute Absolutely, in a heartbeat. And so if you if you look at Kitchener-Wardloo, they used to say the same thing about Kitchener-Wardloo 20 years ago. And that area has kind of defied this expectation and really developed on its own right as a, as a center for uh, really tech uh, technology companies uh, and then other, other industries and stuff as well. Milton's in a very unique place because we're right next to Mississauga and Mississauga is pretty really packed up. And their companies are now uh, had presence in Mississauga. They're moving out. And then bypassing Halton altogether, and then moving to KW and Guelph, because Halton isn't as business friendly. And what we really need to do is rethink how we build communities. This old 1980s model of uh, building you know, homes over here and then commuting everyone out to work somewhere else and commuting back to yeah. home, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, and that's not how people want to live, honestly.
0: That's a really interesting point you just made because I've not heard... I've not heard anybody say that before, and I've certainly not not heard an elected uh, official say it before that Halton is not business friendly. Um, traditionally, uh, I'm going to guess Gary Carr might have uh, something to say about that. Um, but that's uh, but it's true. I mean, I mean you're, you're making a point that certainly immediately resonates with me, even though I haven't really thought about it before. It's like, yeah, why are they going? Why are they going to Waterloo and Kitchener, and not coming to Halton? Um, and in terms of the kind of major companies finding somewhere to locate, is, is that a matter of sort of space that Holton's out of, you know, we don't have much green space. Milton's one of the few areas that does still have green space and that's causing its own problems and debates at the moment. Um, or, or, you know, you were very complimentary about Gore Krantz at the start, but I mean, have there been mistakes made by our leadership in the, in the various um towns and cities uh, over the last 20, 30 years that you think now need to be changed?
2: Yeah, so there, there are two questions there. Uh, let's talk about business-friendliness. Most communities are very business-friendly when it comes to large corporations. So if Amazon wanted to build a warehouse in any community, they would go as quickly as they humanly could uh, to approve that. The challenge is that if you wanted to start you know, a small studio uh, for podcasting, for example, you would have a heck of a time going through it. And I'm talking about the opposite. Right? What really should happen is that communities should support local independent businesses. These big corporations have money and they have lawyers and they have planners and they have everything else they can get through. Essentially what ends up happening with these communities with Milton, Halton and other communities as well uh-huh. is that we have the same process that requires you know, like 17 different approvals from 17 different agencies and like the stack of reports and all these studies Manamis and Amazons and Orlando corporations of the world can get through it, but you and I cannot. Uh, And we need to rethink the approach because it's not working. And and in terms of the second question, most of the councils, if you look at it, and it's hard for me to say that because I don't want to appear ageist, but there's a very specific demographic that runs these communities. Uh, And that demographic tends to not reflect the community as a whole. So, if you look at most councils, and it has to do with how counselors are paid and how they're accommodated, most young professionals don't even think about this. It doesn't matter. They might have the desire, they might even have the skill, but they don't think about it because who's going to leave their job and and take, you know, being a counselor in Milton for $40,000 a year? And so you end up getting uh, people who retired and and they have a very different perspective because once you're done raising your family, your perspective actually changes a lot.
1: it sounds like you're like when you, you keep coming back to this idea of ch- trying to change the culture of uh, of Milton, um, which is ambitious to say the least. I, I kind of wanted to go, to go a little bit deeper into that because I think you're touching on something that I think we've also been touching upon during the course of this podcast. Is kind of the lack of vision, not just in a town of Milton, but kind of in in at our municipal leadership. At least we've seen in this election. And that what I'm getting at is. Let's stay stay here in Milton. Uh, sorry, in, in Halton. Milton is the town of Milton. You have the town of Georgetown, the town of Oakville. I know it's the city of Burlington, but you ask a lot of Burlingtonians, they'll say, "Oh, no, we're the city with the small town feel." And I'm wondering, does that serve that? Does that identity serve these communities in the 21st century? Um, you know, are, are are we stuck in a in a mindset of the past that is going to leave us behind uh, as the challenges? Of the 21st century economy just start bearing down on us.
2: Yeah, we can double down on that, right? So what do you what feeling do you get when it's town off something? Uh, the problem is that communities call themselves a village or a town or a small town, but they still design themselves to be very, very car-centric. And forget car-centric. The problem with land planning, the problem with development in Ontario suburbs is that they're exclusively designed around cars. So when applications come in, you look at, well, how many cars are going to be generated? How much parking space do we need? Uh, how are they going to move? So we need these many lanes. We need yada, yada, yada. They're not people-centric. And the cultural shift we have to make is that we have to start designing cities for people. Now, people have drive cars. Therefore, cars will be accommodated. But it really should be for people. How do we move people around? Now, how do we move cars around? How do we effectively move people around? So certain percentage of them will use cars, but you know what certain percentage of them are willing to not use cars anymore, but they really have no choice. Uh, so to give you an example, if I wanted to come meet you, uh, you're in Hamilton using transit, I have no way of getting there. doesn't matter how much time I was willing to spend. I cannot get to you with transit without, t- without driving to a transit station. Uh, and so we've done it wrong. We've completely done it wrong. And once I get in the car and drive to a transit station, I want to take a go bus. I'll just continue driving on to uh, Hamilton. I have two daughters that go to McMaster. It's a 25 minute bus ride to McMaster from uh, the go park and ride lot. But there is no bus going to the go park and ride lot like it's it's just we, we don't complete the story. And that's the problem with the way we think about transit in this country, in this province, at least. Uh, as I give you the example, right, we, we look at certain metrics and we'll say, well, you know, this bus service is doing really well. We'll keep this one. But this other one we won't keep because it's not doing that well. We don't realize that they depend on each other. Uh, transit is just like a road network. If you don't finish the network, it doesn't work. Uh, you can't just have you can't just do it half ass way.
1: Well, at, you talk about half-assed way, I, I just want to, there's a, a thought that popped in my head is that you know, often we hear about, you know, planning departments say, oh, you want to put in a condo tower or, or whatever have you. But, you know, the first floor needs to be for uh, shop, you know, businesses, uh, commercial use. And we all say, that's great. You know, we live, give a small business a chance to open up a shop or, or something. But what we just say that there, but we also have to talk about, oh, how do we get cars downtown and, and all this? And realize it doesn't, it doesn't work. Like you, you have cars driving along these, these new, newly designed streets, but they have a, it's, it's hard to park. It's not friendly to make you stop and get out and just, Oh, you know, what's this, what's this shop here? I've never seen that before. I'm going to get out and wander in and, and, and shop and buy or or do business or whatever have you. But we kind of have this like, Oh, that's enough. You know, we'll set up uh, a front first floor commercial re- retail space, but not really do anything to encourage people to get down there and stop and partake in whatever that business is doing, whether it's a restaurant or a shop or a financial planner or, or whatever have you. There's not a question here. It's just a, something that popped no, in my head. As uh, to... I can I can add something
2: to it actually. So we
1: sure. think of often
2: when these condo proposals come up, we think of them in terms of single family subdivision terms, just vertical. And that's not correct. Uh, so you can think of a condo retail as a typical sub uh, sprawl plaza Uh, and that's how people often think of them like well someone needs to drive there and shop there so we need but these condos on their own don't work but if you create a network where you now have a street that's walkable that have 5,000 people living there within a walking distance like within five minute walk then you no longer need to accommodate cars to drive in there and park somewhere because you have all the you know everything you need is right there. And ironically, what ends up happening is that these car drivers and find a way to get there anyway, because it's a lively street. It's just more happening in there. Uh, and, and one of the one of the things that really took me a while to understand, a lot of these downtown or lakeshore type places, like Oakville Lakeshore, when they start charging for parking, the usage actually goes up. And that's typically because they start charging for parking when they've created this like vibrant main street. And then they can start charging for parking. And only people who want to go shop there will take it seriously are the ones that come. Uh, we, need to, we need to rethink how we develop communities. And, and there's a lot we can learn from older cities that have done, gone through this before, especially European cities, and some of the more denser American cities as well. Uh, but we can't keep doing things the way we've done for the past 50 years. That doesn't work anymore.
0: Just want to change turn the subject in a slightly different de- direction. Um, I'm just going to throw one thing out there, which which is not on the kind of Halton agenda yet, but which I wonder if it should be. And I know I had conversations with this, with uh, Marianne Mead Ward in 2018, and I know it's an idea she's keen on, but hasn't managed to get to the top of the agenda yet. And this, Should Halton just have a regional bus service rather than Milton having its buses and Oval having its buses in Burlington and them not even being kind of allowed to go to the other city or the other town? Would it not make more sense just to have a a regional service that then we could get on a bus in Burlington and go to uh, go to Milton, which I can't currently do?
2: We really should have metropolitan service across GTA, uh, GTH, really, Metrolinx should uh, run it. Uh, Toronto is very unique in terms of uh, major global cities that we think of transit only in local terms. But in absence of that, we should do what York and Durham region does. And yeah, we should definitely have a regional bus service. Uh, The challenge is that Oakville historically and still is uh, against it. Uh, and our regional government, and we, we'll get into technical regional governance, that it really isn't that valuable right now. But regional government isn't set up properly, it's set up in a way that larger municipalities can basically call the shots. Uh, so let's move away from Halton because I don't want to. I don't want anyone to feel uh, pointed. But if you look at Peel, for example. Kelvin might not, might as well not have a seat in regional council because Missaga and Brampton dictate exactly what happens. So, uh, and that's kind of what happens in Milton as well, uh, in Halton as well. But I do believe that, uh, next term of council will be able to push through and start making progress in regional transit.
0: And and now turning in, in, in the inevitable direction of, of development, you know, I noticed on your, on your website, you, you say, um, let me just get, make sure I get the quote here, um. Uh, we can grow without building high-rises in already established neighborhoods uh, and it's time for more houses and warehouses and you've you made that point already but when i see a phrase like we can grow without building high-rises it's like maybe but do you ha- will you have that power as, as a council um you know the 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 height the height of buildings and uh tends to get decided not by councils these days it's, it's, it's by the olt um, are you are you not risking their kind of raising people's hopes that there will be a made in milton uh, solution to 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 the major developments that happen
2: yeah, so uh, I've always been ambitious. As uh, you'll continue to see that. Uh, I was very careful not to not to uh, indicate that we will not intensify. We do need to intensify. So these all very sprawl subdivisions. We do need to figure out how to intensify them. But I think we can do that while maintaining the character. And so I was very specific in calling out high rises specifically and not give any hope that we will not intensify. We do need to intensify. Uh, developers I've talked to, they're actually very willing to work with municipalities. Uh, one of the things we've done in Milton, and uh, it was a series of my motions actually at the Halton region where we're developing a high rise neighborhood in Trafal- on Trafalgar. Uh, developers have agreed to build a second GO station there, fully developer funded, and Metrolinx has signed off on it. And it's it's actually an amazing opportunity because for the first time that I can think of, we can design a very Mississauga city center type neighborhood on a greenfield. Uh, the event, and, and we're when we talk high density, we mean really high density. We're talking about 30,000 people plus 19,000 jobs in a very small geographic area. In the rest of areas, if you work with developers and find them alternates, because developers are in this business to make money. That, that's what they want to do. Uh, they want to make money with least amount of effort possible, like every other business. And if we work with them and say, look, you know what? You want to put 20 stories here, but guess what? If you can check it out to 10 stories, we can work with you to get you the other stories all over here, where it's a little more suitable. Because we, what we really want to do is phase in heights. So if you have a single family home, you should have a 40-story building next to you. You start with like maybe six stories and eight, and then it goes up to 20 and 40, uh, so kind of phase in. And we're actually trying to do that or, along our current ghost station, which again, it, it baffles me, but most of the ghost stations in Halton region have sprawl subdivisions around them. So we are intensifying that area. And uh, I supported intensification. I support every single high rise project in that area, even though they are near
0: established neighborhood, but that is where it actually makes sense. So uh, so high rises are acceptable in, in in the right areas. Uh, but I mean, do you think, I mean, I don't know what Milton's experience is with the OOT in recent years. I, I can only speak to, well, I have most familiar, familiarity with Burlington um where it's been you know everything is extremely adversarial um and uh well I mean it it certainly seems in the last four years like 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 the, the the city's role in development has effectively been entirely sidestepped um by um by the OLT by developers going to the OLT um and that that's now kind of the default situation because the timelines are so short because um because why wouldn't they you know that you know the the councils are uh under different pressures to to a tribunal that uh, is completely kind of faceless and unanswerable to anybody um so you know are you, are you not just inevitably going to face the same problems where you can plan what you like um but it's going to be decided somewhere else
2: yeah i mean all these shouldn't exist but that said uh, well, and I'm not saying Burlington does that, but what a lot of councils do with OLT is that they also use OLTs in a scapegoat. So rather than taking the leadership and saying, look, we do need this project in this area, this is downtown, we do need people living here. Uh, they, they kind of uh, take the easy way out and they say, well, let's make it somebody else's problem. Uh, and, and they then fight developers, even for development that actually is good. So I'll give an example. There's an entire area in Milton. Well, two actually, two examples that both exactly identical. The two places in Milton where I, I can't campaign because I I voted and I approved for approved these high density uh, high rises uh, because they made sense in those areas. One is at a major intersection that's in a major transit node, and we need more people living there. Uh, the other one is walking distance from downtown Milton. Uh, not in any established neighborhood. it's you know, it's right next to a train track. But often what ends up happening is that people don't want to see a building because they've never seen one. and the fact that they can see it is interpreted as you're destroying my views. Uh, but not really. I mean, it's that's not a good enough argument. Uh, so in both cases, uh, actually in one case, I was the chair of the meeting where the vote was split and I was the deciding vote because as you know, in Mil- in, in Ontario, uh, the chair typically only votes as a tiebreaker. So the vote was split. I was a tiebreaker vote to say, yep, it should go for it because we do need to intensify. And I want to be very clear. Uh, We need to intensify. We need to put uh, right uh, densities in right places. And when you get density in the right place, as leaders, you need to step up and own up to it and sell that to the community uh, instead instead of just punting it over to OLT. Uh, that said, though you're right about all the criticism of oilty, and I really do think it shouldn't exist. It's a very Ontario thing. Uh, in other provinces other jurisdictions, developers have uh, court as a venue where if we go, if we, if we treat them unfairly, uh, they can sue us in the court and get the approval. Uh, the Oilty shouldn't exist.
0: I yes, well, I'm going to be completely un uh, completely biased there and so say yeah, you're right, <laughs> and uh, I agree with you there, but. Um, and I, also, I just want to point out I really appreciate your frankness there that it's like, yeah, I've done these things and they were uh unpopular in this part of town because people who live there, you know. I mean, there's a constant challenge with, with with politics basically, because you are in you're basically it's a popularity contest at the end of the day. Um and so you don't want to say anything that's gonna make you unpopular. Um but you have you know, inevitably every decision that you make that a councillor makes or an elected official makes is going to inconvenience somebody there's i don't think there's ever i remember when joe Brandt hospital was expanding it's like well there's a there's a universally good thing who's going to oppose that well again it spoils somebody's view so there were complaints uh it's like well you know what else i mean <laughs> this is a really difficult one for you to answer I, I guess um but you know we do we need to get away as politicians not that i am but as I, as i was briefly um from kind of telling voters that they can have everything um do we need to be kind of tougher and say like no you can't have everything there's there's going to be development there's going to be intensification you're just going to have to deal with it um and, and the question is not the question we should be asking is what, what's the best what, what kind of development do you want not uh do we have it or not
2: yeah, you, you can have things you want. It's just that what we don't do is we politicians tend to lie to people and tell them they can have things for free. You can't have them for free. So if you want uh, services that a lot of residents want that are dictated by density, then you have to accept density. Uh, if you want to live in old sprawl style subdivisions, then you're going to have traffic and you're going to have high taxes. There's absolutely no way to mince words. There's no way around it. Uh, and that's the irony, right? As you... As you, if you intensify smartly, as densities go up intelligently, your traffic actually goes down because more and more people take transit, they bike, they walk. Uh, the, the, a lot of traffic problems we see is a result of sprawlness, not a result of density, but people mistake that. And often, and this happens time and time, Milton again, people think of a condo proposal as single family homes stacked on top of each other. And they come out and say well you're building 400 units there and there are 800 cars and they all go out at nine in the morning and i've been a counselor for 12 years and in past 12 years i've had exactly zero traffic issues because of condos hundred percent of them happen because of single family homes that have three cars uh and, and and white streets and everyone drives and they all go out and hit the same intersection at the same time Condos don't cause those issues uh, as long as they're placed in the right places. So I think we just need to be honest with people and, and, and help them think long-term. I think most voters are smart. I say most, not all, but I think most voters are smart. And I do believe that they understand the long, they can understand the long-term vision if you just have the courage to sell it to them.
1: Um, I want to change uh, change gears a little bit. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask you, if you were to be elected mayor of Milton, how would you view your relationship with the province. And I'm asking this because over the last, since the last provincial election and definitely leading up to that one, we, we got the sense that this government was looking to consolidate more power to at the provincial level, more of, that, more of the decisions that probably should have been made at a local level. They're saying, we're just going to make it for you. Things like the ministerial zoning orders, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, uh, the fact that they're giving a lot more power to the OLT as we've, we touched upon uh, in these developments. As mayor, like, how how would you approach that relationship with with the province?
2: It's a really tricky position because in Ontario, municipalities, I mean, municipalities are a creation of the province. Like, we don't really have any inherent... political power in the constitution. It's whatever province decides to give us. So they do have the power to do just about anything they want. And we, we, but municipalities do have multiple venues. Uh, They have, mayors have a lot of lobbying power. Uh, So for better or worse, if you look at Oakville and uh, what they were able to do with their gas station uh, during uh, McGinty government, they didn't want it. Again, I don't think it was the right decision, but Hey, it was their decision and they stopped it. And, and more recently, Glen Abbey uh, proposal. Again, it was a conservative government and they got the government to step in and stop it. Uh, mayors often underestimate that they have the biggest megaphone in the community, more than the MPP, more than the MP. Uh, and the mayors that are willing to use that megaphone uh, can actually influence policy and we do need to unite. Uh, and OLT unfortunately gets very technical and one of the things province has done, uh, both governments, liberals and conservatives, they keep changing the name of the tribunal. So it makes it very difficult to kind of under, uh, uh, raise awareness because it goes from OMB to LPAD to OLT, it's exact same thing. Just the names keep changing, uh, but we need to figure out how the mayors get together and really raise awareness and make it into a uh, into a into an election issue because we do have the power to do that.
0: Well, I like what you just said there. That the mayors need to get together, and it seems I mean Rob Burton, has during his career as mayor, has been one of the mayors more willing to be outspoken about the province and to be he i remember him being extremely outspoken about the liberal government even though he's generally seen as a kind of liberal leaning mayor uh and he's i've i interviewed him and he was extremely outspoken about the uh about the uh, provincial government too and and what i've seen certainly in in burlington's history and I, i see it in hamilton too um is that everybody tries to be the province's best friend because it's like well if we're not we're going to get you know we're going to get screwed for another better word um and you know it's like is that really working maybe you know here's a mayor who's willing to to just really strongly say this is wrong and i'm going to kind of throw my community's uh power behind that um whereas versus the kind of trying to play nice and hope that the, that the province is nice to you in return, which is often a faint hope. Um, so do you think it's being more outspoken basically to cut my long question a lot shorter is actually the way to go?
2: I think you're elected as a mayor to represent your community and you need to do what's best for your community. And there are times where what's best for your community is being outspoken. Uh, and as, as I keep saying, mayors underestimate the lobbying power, Oakville is an example. And uh, it's difficult to be the only outlier that's outspoken because you're taking a risk. And that's why places like, you know, large urban uh, municipal mayors forum, right? Where all the large urban municipal mayors get together and they collectively take positions or AMO or FCM, these are good venues to advocate where you can really come together and take a strong position. But you're absolutely correct. The thinking is that we always have to go along with whatever the province is doing because otherwise we might not get the right funding or fundings might get cut. Uh, that's the evidence doesn't indicate that, that 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 fear is unfounded. If you look at the evidence over the past 20 years, uh, you can play nice. Uh, it doesn't do anything for your community. There are times where you uh, lobby uh in a nice way. And at times you become very outspoken. Uh, but you do have to be willing to be nonpartisan though, because you have to be willing to go against your own party, uh, whichever party you identify with. Because once you're a mayor, you should think about your community, not the political party. And I find that unfortunately a number of mayors are very partisan, uh, which you know, which helps them in their donations and volunteers, but I think it hurts the communities
0: we're coming up on our time uh i know just how busy you must be at the moment running a full campaign i'm going to end it with, with um a final kind of slightly cheeky question i guess and is that is can you win um gourd krantz just has you know it's the hazel mccallion kind of syndrome or phenomenon let's say phenomenon not syndrome <laughs> um it's, it's an uphill battle, uh, uh, for anybody, um, however qualified you might be to take on someone with that kind of, uh, track record. Um, how, you know, are you, are you, uh, uh, do you feel like you're an underdog or do you feel like you, you're really, um, got an excellent chance here?
2: Uh, no, no, I'm certainly an underdog and it is an, it is a mountain to climb, but it's doable. And, uh, what we really do need, and I, I tend to have hopeless optimism sometimes, and I back it up with, uh, with hard work and uh, good planning. And uh, Milton desperately needs a mayor that has an optimism backed by hard work and good planning, because if we don't change anything, then nothing will change, and we'll continue to be a community of houses and warehouses. Uh, when, if you think about it, Milton is in this enviable position where, for better or worse, right, we are really developing Greenfield meaning you can completely design from scratch the way you want it to be, and it will look exactly like that. It's very difficult to retrofit anything. And I'll give you an example. Simply uh, getting Milton to adopt LED lights took four years. It took me four years of convincing, two terms of counsel. I started in the previous term and all the way to the next term. It shouldn't have taken four years because guess what? The payback period was three and a half years, meaning if you invest a million dollars converting existing lights to LED, in three and a half years, we'll get the entire million dollars back because of electricity saving, and then it's just gravy. Even something as simple takes forever, Uh, and and that's mostly because uh, politicians are adverse to change. They like to keep things the way they are because they're very risk averse. Uh, You really need a politician that's actually not risk averse, that that will make a plan, that will tell you things that are hard to do and 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 they just go after them uh so i think i think it's time i really do think it's time uh what i'm hearing from the community that it's time uh and and the comparison with hazel mccallion gets made mostly because of age but to be fair to Mayor mccallion i mean she's famously known for like you know clicking away in her blackberry and she was she's she still is extremely outspoken about things that uh that matter to her and about issues which she thinks they should be a certain way uh, to be fair to our mayor, our mayor is not right. He he's not outspoken at all on anything, uh, and and that hurts Milton
0: Zihan Hamid. Thank you so much for joining us today. We uh, we appreciate it as as we would say to everybody uh, running at whatever level in uh, in the elections this year. Um, we wish you all the best with your campaign, and uh, uh, whatever the outcome is, we uh, hope to speak to you again uh, before too long. Uh, it's certainly been a, a great conversation today.
2: I appreciate that. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905 We'd love to hear from you.
2: and at naturalmanpodcast.com.